Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Alst from Strata Central. How are you doing, Rena? Good, Amanda. How are you going? I am going very well, having a great week in Strata and looking forward to getting stuck into our wins and challenges for this week. Yes. Well, my first challenge, Amanda, this week relates to a Strata scheme that's actually been registered in 1968. And it's in sort of the eastern suburbs in Sydney. And what's happened is over the years, a number of owners have enclosed their balconies and basically pretty much all the apartments on that one particular side of the building have done so over various times. But the strata plan doesn't show any enclosures and it shows it as a balcony on the strata plan. And what's happened since is that there's been water penetration through these windows and structures that have been erected over time. And now the owners that own those particular apartments who have bought them since they've been enclosed, which is obviously before their time, are asking the owners corporation to actually pay for the repairs and maintenance. Now, the Strider Committee is saying to me, Rena, these were done by owners over many years. There's no records of them being done. There's no formal approvals. And so now we're faced with Amanda, what does the owners corporation do? Is it now responsible for these repairs or is it due to the fact that the strata plan shows them as being balconies and they've been since enclosed by owners over many, many years that now um, the owners corporation has to take carriage of these costs? Mm. Are these balconies on every apartment enclosed? No. Or just a few? Not every apartment has a balcony. So basically uh-huh. all the ones that do have balconies are enclosed. That's correct, Amanda. It's that not every not every balcony, not every apartment has a balcony. Okay. And if you don't mind saying, how many lots in the scheme altogether? There's about fifty lots, but thirty-three are actual apartment lots, the rest are separate car space lots on title. Okay. And of that 33, about how many would have balconies that are enclosed? I'd say about, I think about a half would, I think. Okay. All right. And the issues that are now arising in the common property are because of the balcony enclosures or it's going to be more expensive to fix them? Yes, because basically, yeah, if if you think it was a balcony and it's been enclosed with windows, Mm -hmm. Amanda, and like, you know, large windows and, and sort of roof structures over those windows that's what's leaking now. So yeah, that's what's occurring. It's the enclosed balconies, the windows and where they meet, you know, with the framing, um, all that areas, it's just deteriorated over time. Yes. Well, if a lot owner does work impacting the common property and they don't have the approval of the owner's corporation to do that work, then the responsibility for the work is going to fall with the lot owner and any common property that's damaged, uh, affected, otherwise impacted because of their work will be the responsibility of the lot owner, in my view. And I don't believe it matters when 
that work was done. It could have been done by various owners over different years, it sounds like, in your example, Rena. It's also sounding like there may or may not be a record of owners seeking approval of the owners' corporation to do this work. If there was a record of approval being sought and perhaps the owners' corporation saying, yes, sure, go ahead, the owners' corporation may be in a difficult position where they have granted approval but haven't done so on particular conditions, for example, that the lot owner take responsibility for any affected common property. So it may be an important fact to tick off in your checklist of what has occurred in the past. Clever owners may be able to produce some record of approval and say that it was approved on Mm. terms. The owners corporation would continue to repair and maintain. The reason I was asking how many and how many out of the whole building and how many with balconies are enclosed is because the owners corporation might want to think about instead of going into a dispute with these lot owners about rights and obligations and whether there are approvals or not and when the work was done, looking at the cost to deal with these problems, there may be a commercial solution here whereby the owners corporation might agree to fund the works because it's impacting every apartment with a balcony on the condition that the lot owners will then, from then on, once these issues are rectified, take on responsibility for the future repair and maintenance and will do so pursuant to a bylaw and having given their written consent. Currently at the moment, Amanda, there's only um, one apartment that's actually suffering from a leak. So I suppose Uh it's the committee understanding, you know, what their obligations are in terms of repair and maintenance. We've also seen, and we haven't delved into all the minute books for this particular scheme, but we've also seen, Amanda, that many, many approvals are given over the years, but not given through a bylaw. And I've, I've seen schemes we've taken over where the committee has allowed someone to do such a, an installation and said that they're responsible, but, they, but the committee had no authority to give that consent. So I think I take your point about whether it's going to be a big factor in this particular scheme. At the moment, it's only a one lot owner that's come to us. It's mainly the agents. I mean, what I find really troublesome, Amanda, at the moment is many property managers don't understand that if someone's done work to common property, that's not strata. They keep saying it's strata, it's strata. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. no, no, it's not strata. It's like um, I've got another issue in another scheme where someone had installed a macerating toilet as part of a conversion from a commercial to a residential lot. I'm sorry, and installed a what toilet? It's called a macerating toilet. It's actually got, it's got a pump and it doesn't rely on gravity feed and all that. It's, it's, a really un, it's really unusual. It's actually allowed in the standards. You can install, but it's normally used in boats and things. It's not normally oh, used in residential lots. Right. But when they did this conversion, to undertake the plumbing would have cost like twenty or 30000 at the time to do a proper second toilet with, you know, with a proper pipe work and, you know, going and fitting it into the stack. And so now what's happened in this other scheme is the, the toilet has leaked three times into the commercial lot below. And we we're, try- we're trying to find out, has it been installed correctly? Has it been waterproofed, et cetera? But mm. the agents keep saying, I mean, this is a strata issue, this is a strata issue. And I'm getting sort of emails from the owner and emails from the agent. And I think sometimes there's a lot to learn in terms of educating people you know, what is strata in terms of the theoretical point of view? Anyone would think, yeah, a window, the balcony that's been enclosed theoretically would be assumed to be a known as corporation issue. But 
many times when you look at these older buildings, a lot of work has been done over the years without any proper authority and approvals. Mm. And I think there's a real lesson here in buildings not turning a blind eye to this work. Mm. If there is work going on, prevention is better than cure here. We don't want to be in a position, whether it's two years, 10 years, 20 years down the track, saying Mm. uh, when was that enclosure done? When was that toilet installed? What were the conditions of approval? It may seem the easy option to ignore it at the time, but we are now in the position of being left to patch together the history of these renovation works to be able to properly advise buildings. And it is complicated. Some buildings I find take the view that it's all too hard to go to lot owners to do an audit of the lot and work out what's common property, what's not, what was added with approval, what wasn't, and then require the owner to sign up to or put forward a bylaw that itemizes that work and clearly shifts the responsibility for affected common property over to the lot owner. Yes, that is hard work. It's tedious. It may be controversial because the owner may not give their consent. You may have to go to the tribunal to seek an order that the bylaw be made because it's reasonable in all the circumstances that it be made. But ignoring that avenue, ignoring the availability of that solution is only going to tie you up in knots, I think, further down the track. Let us know how you go. One apartment only in that block. I think it's worth having that conversation with the owner about taking on that responsibility and then mm. seeing how that then plays out across the other lots and using that that negotiation perhaps as a practice, a template for future negotiations with the other owners. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Rena, for bringing that one to our attention. My challenge for this week arises from electronic meetings. I am hearing more and more some frustration from communities, from owners who tell me, Amanda, my building only ever wants to have electronic meetings or meetings where voting is conducted wholly by pre-meeting electronic voting. And that means that we're not getting together. We're not having discussions about issues. We're not able to debate motions. If I'm an owner putting forward a motion, I'm not able to speak to that motion, particularly if the voting is all done by way of pre-meeting electronic voting. How do I force my building to have a general meeting, whether face-to-face or online by Zoom, but without pre-meeting electronic voting. So we have the chance to have discussion and debate. What are my rights? And Rena, you might tell me what your experience has been here, if you're Mm. hearing this from buildings or owners, but on my reading of our New South Wales legislation, there is no ability for an owner to request, demand, require that a general meeting or even a strata committee meeting happen by a particular method. So we can't force face-to-face meetings. We can't force online meetings, if the secretary or the majority of the committee has determined that pre-meeting electronic voting will be the way to go. Is that your understanding, Rena? Yeah, it is actually, man. I mean, nothing in legislation at the moment says that it can't be done otherwise. The I think the challenge that strata managers are, are facing now is that with this new medium, some committees are relying on a way to perhaps restrict debate and attendance by other owners. So I think sometimes even though the convenience is really appealing to owners' corporations in terms of being able to make decisions, 
and the time that you can do that being, you know, cut by a substantial amount, that it sometimes is being used as a tool to restrict discussion. And um, we haven't found that in our schemes. I mean, we've we've only had a few meetings where we've had to use pre-electronic meeting and those have been more to do with bylaws or things that weren't contentious. But in this particular example, Amanda, what about their AGM and the election of a strata committee? I mean, that, that mm. can't be done. That, Correct. Are they just keeping the same committee, are they? Yes. So we can't elect a strata committee by pre-meeting electronic voting. So what's happening in some buildings where, thank you for calling that out, that's exactly what's happening in these communities. They're trying mm. to restrict debate or discussion or even prevent a new strata committee from being elected. So they're mm. proposing their AGM by way of pre-meeting electronic voting and simply saying, well, sorry, we can't elect a new committee. This committee rolls over and uh, the positions remain the same until the next general meeting at which a new committee is elected. It's a big problem. And owners are feeling that they're left without an option, they're left without a voice. This issue was raised inside our members-only online forum recently and I was asked to suggest some potential solutions and one solution that was canvassed was the passing of a bylaw that sets out a building will always have in-person voting at its AGM, whether that's done by electronic means or in person uh, or by proxy, of course, but no pre-meeting electronic voting for AGMs. And because that's not in our legislation, in my view, yes, you would need a bylaw to say that. And if your community all agreed that that was how you were going to run your AGMs, then I wouldn't see that there was anything wrong with that bylaw. I don't think it's, it conflicts with the legislation and I don't think it would be harsh, unconscionable or oppressive. I think it solves a problem. Yeah, I think it's actually, Amanda, the um, opposite actually. It actually is less, is not harsh. In a sense, it's allowing people to be involved and and especially people that aren't able to use pre-electronic meeting because we have had this discussion previously on one of our episodes where we talked about people returning voting papers and if they're not returned electronically then they're not accepted so for those people that that don't have a scanner they don't they don't have access to email they are disenfranchised by not being able to deliver their voting papers electronically Yes, that's exactly right. And that is part of the problem that we're seeing. I've suggested there that a bylaw that requires you to have your AGM by in-person voting, whether that's electronic or otherwise, could be a solution, or simply saying that at least one general meeting in a period of 12 months must occur with in-person voting or in-meeting voting, I think is probably the, the yeah. better term rather than pre-meeting voting, whether it's the AGM, whether it's another general meeting. But I think going 12 months without any in meeting voting is a real problem. Yes, definitely. I think it's um, there's more to it in terms of the agendas behind the purpose for, for these types of meetings being continuously done. Yes, and more people becoming savvy to that option and uh, using it to their perceived benefit. So anybody out there who is experiencing this or has some comments on this or some ideas, please do feel free to reach out. You can always post a comment under our episode over at yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash podcast. You'll find this episode number 253 there. Let us know your thoughts. Rena. let's hear from you on a win this week. So my win, Amanda, for this week, um, we just had an AGM last week and we had a major project um, being a lift replacement 
that needs to be done. Before we took this scheme over in June last year, we actually, the Owners Corporation had raised a special levy, but only a third of the amount that was required. And as you can imagine, a lift replacement is, is quite a costly undertaking. And through working with the committee, we did quite a long letter and we gave, as I had suggested to the committee, just give people the options in terms of how they want to proceed funding it. Because some people are averse to loans psychologically for some reason. Um, some people don't find special levies you know, um, hard in terms of the quantum that we need to get the project underway. And so basically what we did, we actually had a combination of three items. We had, we had a loan, we had special levy and loan, and then we had a special levy. And, um, and then we had to take three separate votes on all of those particular items. And in this case, the loan was the most uh, popular by far in terms of funding. So I think for, for buildings out there and wanting to do work but not really thinking about raising money and not being able to perhaps mention that at the moment due to COVID or whatever other reasons that schemes may have for not doing major works, I think um, undertaking or suggesting a loan is probably the way to go, at least giving people the option to consider um, funding a project in that way. Yes, understanding that it's available and that it might be the better option. Excellent that the community was aware of that and was able to make a decision that best suited it. And they had the quotes before them for, uh, they had a good understanding of what this was going to cost, the lift replacement. Yeah, well, I mean, they already have from their previous time when they had the special levy. Obviously, that's going to be updated now. So we, we're just mm-hmm. going to get the um, the consultant to um, undertake the tender. And one I think one lift company hadn't been included for some reason, so they're going to be now re-invited to be included in the tender process. So, But I think, Amanda, sometimes if we just had a special levy only as an option, then, then people might have just said, no, we don't want a special levy, and the lift would be then put on the back burner for another year. And in the meantime, it keeps breaking down. So I think mm. sometimes, you know, like thinking of that option, as you said, or a combination of both, some buildings prefer combination, it's really now I think the way to make sure that these major projects are funded and funded in a way that people are amenable to. Although I think some schemes don't realise that it's got to be paid back, so there will be a special levy sometime to yeah. pay it back. Um, <laughs> that's what I think people forget about. <laughs> yes. In terms of approving the loan, Rena, do you approve the loan contract? Is that your motion or are you simply getting an indication from owners at this stage that they'd like to fund it through this method or partially through this method and then you go off to the loan provider and get the contract? What's your usual? Oh, no, we actually have um, – yeah, so what we usually do is we actually have the loan contract itself, which is about, mm-hmm. I don't know, 20 or 30 pages and next to the agenda and we also have the motions that – have been provided by the lender. So some lenders actually um, are far more onerous in terms of paperwork that they require, which is done obviously after the loan has been approved, but um, they need to cite that the agency agreement is a true copy and they need it countersigned. They also need a community member to sign that these are the communities that have been elected on the AGM minutes. It's actually quite a rigorous um, process. I'm mm. not sure if all lenders um, have these requirements, but the last two loans that I've had to arrange. Yeah, so we put all the motions that we have been asked to. And, and in one particular case, the lender said to me, oh, well, I can't say that the committee has approval to do these waterproofing works. I said it doesn't need approval as such. I said we've, we've budgeted for it, it's a statutory requirement, it's in our letter, insurance, you know, we've, we've got quotes that the committee has approved subject to, you know, funding. So, okay. yeah, so they were even quite onerous in terms of, 
and has a general meeting approve this? And I said it doesn't need to as such. Mm. It's There's no or restriction on the work. committee to, yeah, there's no, yeah, because it's statutory repair work. And also there's no restriction on the committee not to enter into any contracts of any magnitude in any of the resolutions. So, yep. yeah, but no, we, we give everyone the full pick because, I mean, sometimes you, you see a lot of lawyers actually have read the documents, whereas most people don't read a loan document, as you can imagine. No. I mean, a lot of people don't even read the annexures, let alone a loan document. So. I'm not sure there's too much room for negotiation there. So um, no, I, I don't think, really so. think to myself, I can read it, but I don't know yeah. that if I go back with any changes, I'm going to be in a good bargaining position. One of the questions I had was, you know, this is only a conditional approval. How do we know if we are we going to get the loan? I said, well, I mean, you know, I said, that's correct. It is conditional approval subject to them checking your financials and everything else. So, mm-hmm. you know, but obviously we're not going to sign any contract with any person until we know we've got the funding. So that's the key, isn't it? Signing a contract to do the work and without the funding in place, that's a bit scary. Correct. Yeah. Well, we never do that. So. Yeah, so in a sense it is a good question, but it's not a question that we need to be really concerned with because if mm. there's no funding then there's no contract and then there's back to the drawing board again and refunding it in another way, which is yep. obviously going to be special levies really. Yeah, excellent. Thank you for giving us that behind the scenes there. I'm always curious to know how strata managers on the ground deal with these processes and I'm sure that's helpful for our listeners. My win for this week, I am inviting everybody to join me this Thursday, the 25th of February for a webinar with thanks to Liverpool Council here in Sydney. I will be hosting one of my famous bylaws webinars, helping everybody learn how we can use bylaws to combat bad behaviour in our apartment buildings and restore peace to your communities. So join me, free webinar, midday Eastern Daylight Time this Thursday. You can register over at yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash webinar. I would love to see you all there. If you have been on one of my bylaws webinars before, and I know many of you have, it's always a good idea to join us again. Always something new to share with you. In particular, I'm getting stuck into the situation with our pets laws here now in New South Wales, rapidly changing every week. There seems to be something new to bring to the table about pets in Strata. And I'll definitely be covering that on Thursday. I'd love to see you there. That sounds wonderful, Amanda. I think those things are really helpful for so many people because in terms of multi-unit dwelling, I think the biggest challenge I think many people have is really enforcement of bylaws you know rubbish noise pets all those sort of parking I think some all those sort of types of behavioral issues I think many owners struggle with and I think your uh, webinar will go a long way to helping people feel more empowered in terms of being able to deal with these various challenges. Yes, good bylaws are definitely the starting point for, I have to say, 95% of the problems that we experience in Strata. And I think that's why these webinars are so popular. And I have so much fun delivering them and answering everybody's questions live as well. So the registration is over at yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash webinar. And I will pop that link in the show notes also. Lovely to chat with you again this week, Rena. You too, Amanda. Have a good week. I will, and I'll catch you next time, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. 
You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?